keep tugging at our heels Watch this high step and be a highlight reel Of how high we get The ghost riders off the ramp How we live defies death Put a conscience in the genre box Stamp a certified fresh Bad boys beyond G depths You couldn't fathom what we plan to do next Turn the music on his head Power bomb a suplex Welcome and thanks for you Wow, that was really bad uh, I'm going to edit that one out Welcome and thank you for listening to the Free Range Basketball Podcast, a podcast where I, Kyle McEwen, bring on guests and we find common ground in our love of basketball before having more conversations about politics and religion or spirituality. If you like what you hear, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast wherever you listen to or watch it. And if you'd like to be an official producer of the show, you can send in support through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App at Kyle McEwen16. You can also subscribe on Patreon at Free Range Basketball. For anyone that rates, reviews, or contributes as a producer of the show, I'll be sure to give you a mention and thanks on the show. And I'll also help come and help do yard work this weekend at your house. If you'd like for me, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me retweeting an insane number of NBA and political topics at Roto Kyle NBA. All right, now that the housekeeping's out of the way, let's get our guest here, Chris Christopher. I'm sorry, Gordon from Houston, Texas. Chris, thank you so much for offering to be one of my first guests. As you can see, I'm already stumbling a lot, so hopefully you can carry the show for me. Um, Chris, you're a you're a you're a Rockets fan, and uh, that's kind of where we're going to start the conversation is in the NBA. Um, is there anything that you want people to, to know about you before we kind of get into that NBA conversation? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm a Rockets fan. Uh, I, I guess I got to have extensive political history as well. I wanted to be a lawyer at first, was going to do political science, but then the Lord scooped me up into ministry. And so outside of ministry, uh, sports is like my, Second love. So I was really excited about this topic and how, cool. how all these things blend together. Yeah. No, and you sound like the perfect guest too, because I like, I almost want to skip over the NBA and start talking about the, you know, <laughs> well, can't you intermingle those two things? Can't you be a pastor and the still be, you know, in the political sphere? I mean, it seems like those two, like those don't have to be, you know, necessarily opposed. You can, ha- you can wear those different hats in your community and all that. Right. Uh, right. But anyways, let's talk about the NBA first because that is our common ground with everybody who's listening here is our love of basketball. So, Chris, you said you grew up, born and raised in Houston, Texas. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you've been a Rockets fan your your whole life. Does that mean you hate the Dallas Mavericks or what's that whole yes. relationship like? Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I don't just hate Dallas Mavericks. I hate all things Dallas. I hate <laughs> – I even hate the Stars – I hate I hate the Cowboys. Like I I, I think I wish they lose every game, and uh, I even hate the city of Dallas. I I, I think it stinks, and <laughs> I even think Dallas girls are ugly. Like I, every time I meet, I was like like Houston women are so pretty, and then Dallas women are so ugly. Like I hate all things Dallas. Dallas is nowhere near compared to Houston. Well, I was feeling for the Heat when. When they when the Heat lost to to the Mavericks, oh yeah. my! Uh, do uh, well. What about before you had the Houston Texans? Did you root for the Dallas uh, Cowboys no. back then? No, <laughs> uh, no. Well, I mean, who and, but but most 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 Dallas Cowboys fans. We have a lot of Dallas Cowboy fans because once the Oilers left and they became the Titans, they were like, "Well, we're just gonna root for Dallas because that's." 
that's all we had. I mean, that, but yeah. that was during the glory days. You know, Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, Rocket Ishmael, and all those yeah. guys, Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin. So I'm not mad at that, Dallas. I'm talking about this Tony Romo version, Jason Garrett, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. That These Dallas fans need to be quiet. Okay, okay. So there was a time where you you saw yourself identifying with the 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 roster and the crew, the the guys that were at with Dallas back in the Emmett Smith days. Which, yeah, for me, that's the that's the NFL glory days period. Because as a Lions fan, that was Barry Sanders' time, baby. Exactly. Just one of the most exciting players who have ever played the game. Um, oh yeah. But all right, well, let's talk about the Houston Rockets uh, because there is a lot of interesting things that have been happening with them recently in regards to a new coach uh, that still hasn't been hired. Uh, and now we know that in the midst of the coaching search, your general manager steps down. So right. uh, where are things at? And I guess, do you do you have as much hatred towards Tillman Fertitta as a lot of people seem to have in the media? Or are you kind of like open-minded about his ownership still? I'm, see, I'm open-minded. I like a lot of people hate Tim and Fertitta. Like a lot of Rockets fans and Rockets Twitter, they all like think this guy's the worst thing in the world. Sell the team and <laughs> F you Tillman and all this stuff. It's like, like get a guy a chance. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm one of those fans because like I'm a Rockets fan, but I also I, I enjoy the NBA. So I'm not just one of those like James Harden is the best player in the world. Like Rockets fans believe that James Harden can do no wrong. And they've been telling us for years that James Harden was better than LeBron for like the last like four years. And I'm just like, well, now we're going to get to see it. And so when we finally saw them two going against each other, it's like it's clearly shown for me that LeBron is still better than Harden. And but Rockets, Rockets people act like they, it's hard for them to realize that. And they'll post all these nebulous stats of like these oh no players ever done this in 82 games and, and all these ancillary hardened stats. But it's like, when is he gonna do it when it counts? So uh I'm one of those persons that when 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 Tilma Fertita is like making moves and changes and all that stuff, I'm 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 like, let's keep an open mind because in all honesty, what has Daryl Morey and James Harden done? Like all these moral victories and all that stuff like that, all these shoulda, coulda, woulda, it still hasn't gotten it done. And if we just keep on settling for this analytics, almost win, technically we're the best team percentage-wise or the best offense in NBA history, but still can't beat the team when it counts, then I think that's going to keep us at that like almost victory. So I'm I'm, I'm fine with Tillman Fertitta. Um, you know, it's I'm a little bit conflicted because like with the with the rockets i get it you always want to push to to win a championship if you're a fan if you know you, you that's the ultimate goal that's what you hope that your leadership is focused on because if you're not focused on at least trying to get there then what's the point but right. they have had tons of success they've been a fun team to watch if you like james harden um and james harden plays the game like like it should be played into in the modern era. Like if you are an analytical person, he takes the shots he's supposed to take and he takes them well. And, and I know that there has in the past been those right, correct criticisms of his defense at times, but I think that's improved a lot over the last couple yeah. of years and he's yeah. way more consistent. And 
ultimately like it's it's kind of obnoxious to have these uh picky conversations about a guy like him because all we really should be doing is sitting here talking about how awesome he is and you know only comparing him to lebron by saying like yeah it just it sucks that he's playing in the LeBron era and he hasn't been able to and the team that he's playing with hasn't been able to surround him with enough to counter whatever LeBron brings to the table. But LeBron's also had some really good teammates because he's right. smart and he's gone to the good teammates. You know, he LeBron wouldn't have went back to Cleveland if if that situation wasn't presenting itself to be one where he was going to be able to compete with Kyrie and the fact that they made that trade for Kevin Love and everything like like. LeBron wasn't going to go back to a non-winning situation there. So, you don't think he was trying to uh, go back and team up with Kyrie and Deion Waiters? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh geez, how crazy is that, dude? Some of the guys on the bench of the Lakers this year, like Deion Waiters getting a ring. You know, Jared Dwight Smith Howard. getting a ring. Yeah, Dwight getting a ring. I just, Dwight. I don't. Okay. You know, yeah. Uh, that's such. Wait, a fr- wait. I, I gotta say this. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I was pulling for Dwight Howard to get a ring. Cause yeah. I like Dwight Howard came to Houston, and, and and I still do think that that was like one of the things that kind of derailed his career. That if he would have chose Los Angeles, or I mean the Warriors were uh, kind of courting him too. Like if he would have went to the Warriors, like and during his prime, after during that, instead of coming to Houston, I think he would have had a ring. So I was I was actually happy Dwight got a ring because I do think that man he was one of the Dwight was like the last center of this generation. Like yeah. after Dwight, it, like that center position just never was the same. And it's like, man, so I, I wanted him to be kind of immortalized into the basketball hall of fame by this ring. Yeah. Because well, people f- don't like, if you weren't watching back when he took the, or his Orlando magic team to the finals that one year, like you don't understand, like he was, he was shackish for us period of time in regards to yeah. his dominance, you know, the f- fact yeah. that he, he, he had like very good hands around the rim and would do all these like little floater layups in front of the rim where it's just like, how can somebody who's that big and moving that fluidly, like a David Robinson type kind of guy, like, how is he, how is he? It's just, it just, it's amazing. It, it did. It was, uh, there's a lot to say about Dwight Howard and he's definitely going to be a hall of fame guy. And it, it's cool to have him yeah. solidify that, that argument with a ring because that's going to make it a lot easier for him. Yeah, and he could jump like Dwight could jump. Like it was like he would go up and get rebounds. Like it's like like he ever like fifteen, and it's like like he would just jump so higher than everybody else and to block shots. It was like Dwight was a people forget about that that Dwight. I mean, he could have won the MVP that year that Derrick Rose won. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, let's talk about uh, I guess the Daryl Morey situation, like. Do you, I mean, they have, have they, have they announced who, who they're going to have as your new GM yet? Uh, it's, it's a guy who was like the uh, vice president under Dale Moore, a Raphael or something like that yep. guy. Uh, and so I haven't, I haven't good. read up enough on him to, to have a good opinion yet. Um, but I don't know. I guess even a more important question that then is probably like, Regardless of who the coach is, what do you think they're going to do in in regards to the starting lineup? Do they continue to go super small? Do they? I mean, if Daryl Morey's gone, that means you've got a, a new perspective that's probably going to say we're not necessarily going to abandon all traditional approach. But they also they got rid of Clint, so I mean, I guess I'm just curious. Like, what do they do? 
Oh, uh, I, I think I think that's the one of the reasons why uh, Mike D'Antoni. Uh, I think I think that's going to be more reflection of Mike D'Antoni because I remember it's not that you know before they even traded Clint, they were not playing him a lot of times. Like I remember mm-hmm. Game One of last year uh, with the Bucks, and it was like, and they were set. Clint Capella was like D'Antoni had Clint Capella on the bench, and they had uh, Brooke Lopez out there being guarded by Eric Gordon. And it was our first game of the year. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, we got Westbrook and Harden. We about to tear this league apart. And then in the fourth quarter, they took out Clint and Brooke Lopez just posting up Eric Gordon. And it was like, why are they keep putting you're taller than PJ Tucker? And why are they keep putting PJ Tucker out there at center when you have Clint Capella out there? So I think that's more a reflection of Mike D'Antoni. Uh, I do think I I well, I can't say that. I hope that because Daryl Morey is gone, that they're going to – I mean, I can blame Mike D'Antoni, but Daryl Morey allowed it. He's the one who traded Clint Capella for Robert Covington. So I'm sure some type of intel said that, oh, man, we don't need a center. And, I mean, and one of the other things was during that trade when they were just moving all those pieces, what's the guy from uh, Golden State, the uh, – the, uh, He's the 6'9 guy when Golden State purchased a draft pick from the Bull, Jordan Bell. And the Rockets had Jordan Bell, so I was like, okay, good. We at least got him as our makeshift center. But then yeah. they ended up trading Jordan Bell away. And it was like, so wait a minute. We're really not going to have any guys who can play center besides 100-year-old Tyson Chandler? So I I, I hope that they're going to go into, like, regular size ball because the Lakers show that you cannot beat these guys with a six, three, six, four PJ Tucker. I mean, you definitely can't beat Anthony Davis with, right. with that, with that. It's just, it's no nah, man, not with those arms and the way he extends on his shot. And oh, you know, he's like, it's like, it's like a full extension. It's ridiculous, but um, yeah. it's also beautiful. Um. <laughs> So I, I, it sounds like you weren't necessary. So did you, were you at least interested in seeing what could happen when they announced that they were going to go full bore into the small ball or were you kind of shaking your head at it from the start? No, no. I, I was one of those that saying like, this is ridiculous. Like <laughs> out of all the teams in the NBA, like we're the team that's like anti-height. Like, oh, like everybody measures <laughs> Height is a good thing in every part of the NBA, except when it comes to Houston. And it's like, why do we have to always got to just like double? It it was almost like we're trying to like uh, we're looking for a loophole. Like we're trying to cheat the system. Like like and it was like I mean, it was like another gimmick. And and Mm. I didn't like that. And, and And I mean, I understood why teams like why a lot of people hated the Rockets, because, you know, around the national media and I mean national fans NBA fans they don't really like the Rockets but it, it was like man we're really doubling down on this thing by trying to cheat the system by putting PJ Tucker James Harden is taller than PJ Tucker I've seen PJ Tucker out and about in Houston and it stood next to him now he's swole but he's just not <laughs> the biggest like most NBA players look like NBA players PJ Tucker is swole and muscular but he just didn't stand out and look like a huge NBA player. Right. And no matter how much, no much, no matter how much like fight you got in you, yeah. if you don't have the size to match up with some of these guys, they're just they're It's not going to phase them. A guy like Anthony Davis, you're just, 
don't matter how good you are at defense if you don't got the size. I was at, I was at the first game of the Rockets season when the Rockets opened up their season. Uh, that was two years ago against the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Rockets went small then. Anthony Davis was like yanking rebounds over PJ Tucker, and he just before PJ Tucker could even jump off the ground, Anthony Davis <laughs> already had the ball out the air, and it's like I mean. I mean, I can't blame Anthony Davis. That was my first time seeing him in person. And I'm like, I get it now. I see why yeah. he's such a pro. He's so quick. He's long and fast. And, but, yeah, you just can't. PJ Anthony Davis has been abusing P.J. Tucker since he was with the Pelicans. I mean, it just the fact that the Lakers won. Um, and it, it's just go for me. It just kind of confirms an argument I've made over the years is, is that Every team, if you're not looking at the the teams that you expect to win the championship, the one or two or maybe three teams that you legitimately think are going to win the championship, which in this era, it's what team is Kawhi on, what team is LeBron on, those two teams are going to be in the championship potentially this year. So we need right. to stop those guys. Now, a lot of teams have loaded up and they have guys who can match up with LeBron, but like definitely not the Rockets and pretty much, you know, it's just, Matching up with both LeBron and Anthony Davis, it's it's going to be hard for any team, but that's what you have to try to do. And if you're not trying to build that with your team, then you know what the heck is your strategy? Because it doesn't really sound like you have one. And right. some teams may be trying to find the, uh, the the margins or to I can't remember exactly how you put it, but yeah, try to find that like that cheat code or whatever that's just like ridiculous and, and they shouldn't be going that route. Um, all right, talk about one more NBA thing. There's some breaking news today on Wednesday. Uh, Stan Van Gundy was hired by the New Orleans Pelicans as their head coach. Do you are you a Stan Van Gundy fan? Jeff Van Gundy used to coach the Rockets, his brother. Yeah. Um, I mean, I should be asking you. He was over your Pistons, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, no, to anybody who doesn't know, I, I'm a lifelong Pistons fan. I've kind of walked away from them a little bit over the last, like, eight years of depravity and just lack of any sense of direction for the organization. But uh, yeah, with Stan Van Gundy, I, I was, I've always liked Stan. I like that. He's outspoken on his Twitter. He's, he's become very political during this lockdown time or, or yeah, during the yeah. bubble. And like, I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff, but everything he says, even though he sometimes, and he actually, I'll say this. So, to anybody who is a, a fan of Stan Van Gundy's Twitter account, which I am, I like how outspoken he is. Um, he said that in getting his coaching position, uh, don't worry, he'll still be on Twitter. So they're, they're not asking him to stop tweeting or anything, which is makes sense. There's other coaches that tweet. Steve Kerr tweets all the time. Um, and uh, But uh, he said that he, he does realize, Stan Van Gundy said he realizes that sometimes he has been too harsh at times. On, on Twitter and he'll try to, to walk that back a little bit, which is like, that's, that's an admission that I think all of us will, will sometimes, you know, on social media, we've gotten, whether it's something we do recently or something we've done in the past and we've learned enough not to do it. But like, I've, there's, I don't even comment that much on social media anymore because I'm just like, unless I'm telling somebody, Hey man, you look great or, or whatever. Like, what's the point? You know, I'm not here to disagree with you. Like, you shared your opinion. I'm just going to keep scrolling down and go on, you know? Yeah. So, but anyways, what do you think about the Stan Van Gundy hire? I, I like him as a coach. I think he's a smart guy. Um, I, It'll be interesting to see what he does with that Pelicans roster. 
Um, I hope they don't change the roster much because I think it's a good roster. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like, I remember with, at, when Stan McGundy first got hired in Detroit and he was the general manager and the coach, and he said he told his wife that if this don't work, that's it, I'm through, that, <laughs> that this was the last thing. And it's like, okay, so I thought he was just kind of going off into the sunset after Detroit did not work out. But I, You got a good I, memory, I man. Yeah, that was like that was like when he got hired. He was like, yeah, he's like, this is you know, this is it. This is the last place I'm, I want to be or whatever. But that's kind of what you say, you know. That's kind of what? the the appreciation of uh, I, I'm here and I plan on being here forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. But I, but I mean, I don't know. The thing that I, I just don't know about Stan Van Gundy is that, uh, like most coaches. Like even even Mike D'Antoni, whom I was very, I'm very critical of, most coaches at least have an identity. So like like Steve Kerr, you know how Steve Kerr offense looks. You can tell their identity. Uh, you can tell even Greg Popovich. You can tell how his coaching, you know how it looks. Uh, I mean uh, Alvin Gentry, you can still kind of see some kind of semblance of of what least what's the uh, philosophy on uh offense but i when i watched stan van gundy and all these kind of other middle like kind of just i I would just say like kind of middle of the pack coaches like you don't know if they're great and you don't know if they're uh i mean they're not the worst coaches but you don't just know necessarily what they do well i i I think of stan Stan van gundy is one of those uh when i when i would even watch those detroit games i'm just like I can't figure out their offensive philosophy and I can't figure out what they, what they're trying to do on offense. Like, I I, I agree. There's there well, there there was also just a, um, I didn't, I don't really agree on how he manages his players. Like I like that. He gives them a lot of minutes from a fantasy basketball perspective. Cool. Like let them go play and, and get all the stats. But, uh, the way that he would like, Somebody needed to have a talk with Blake Griffin a couple of years ago and tell him, look, dude, you can't go bowl in the China shop down banging your body every single time anymore. Like you're, you're too old. You're, that's the reason you keep getting hurt is because you, you do all these things that just beat the heck out of your body. And, and that's the coach's job. I believe in a, in a lot of respects to like design an offense that makes sense to keep your players healthy. You don't need to manage their minutes as much as manage their uh, their impact, the beating that they're taking in some respects. And, and there were other players on the Pistons too, that I did, I got frustrated watching them as a fan. It's one of the reasons why I fell out of love as a fan, even though I still like Stan Van Gundy is I, I didn't really understand how some players who I felt their best attributes were doing ball handling or, or something else were being mm-hmm. asked to just go stand in the corner. Whereas other guys were like a Langston Galloway were getting way too much time handling the ball and <laughs> just ridiculous stuff like that. So, um, so you, you wasn't a fan of those Langston Galloway games, one out of every four games that he would get high. Oh my up gosh, with. dude. There's uh, <laughs> yeah. The Langster. I'm not a, no, no, I, I don't, I think but, he's but, still got another, I think he's still got another year on the under contract with him. I hope he, I hope I'm wrong about that. Yeah. Y'all gave him all that money. Wasn't that GM stand, huh? <laughs> I know. I know. But well, and then, and then, he brought in like Ed Stefanski, who was just like another guy who 
was never that great at his job in Philadelphia. I, I think sometimes these teams don't really know who they're hiring. And it's just like, they actually, they look at the resume and they're like, Oh, this guy has done some stuff before, uh, but they don't evaluate it. Uh, it's Reggie Jackson. I mean, did you, were you a big fan of Reggie Jackson? No, dude. No, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't hate Reggie, but like, See? but, but, you but as a basketball player, like, he, he's not a winner, man. And you he, paid him John Wall money. And that's what John Wall said. I'm getting paid Reggie Jackson money. And, like, <laughs> and it was like, I mean. Oh, man. See, this is why I don't call myself a Detroit fan anymore, because it's painful to, like, to own this. Like, you're right. I, Reggie Jackson? No, dude. That, that guy's body language was so infuriating to watch on the court. Like, you can't have your leader out there moping and, like, mm. oh. <laughs> Just looked like he was a melting candle all the time. It was ridiculous. And, and uh. that's my point. It's like with understand Van Gundy, I never felt like Andre Drummond was maximized. I mean, and I still like think that, I mean, like, let's say, I mean, this is very hypothetical, but I don't even know if it's possible. If, if Andre Drummond gets, somehow gets traded to the Warriors, like you can see an offense where Andre Drummond could like look like, you know, like a top eight center in the league. And it's like, wow, the Warriors have really unlocked him and all this. And you'll hear all this stuff. Oh, he he's done this. and But it's not even like, oh, he's gotten in better shape or he's reading defense. And it's just that he's in a better system that kind of maximizes or covers up what he cannot do. And I, I just saw, don't think yeah. that, that Stan no, McGunny has ever put together an offense that can maximize Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, or even Andre Drummond, or even KCP, or I mean, <laughs> no, you're right, and and that's just it. When you've got a guy like Drummond in there, you won't you. It, it's funny, Stan Van Gundy's considered a modern thinking coach, someone who's supposed to be getting up tons of threes and all this kind of stuff. But like, there was just the 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 offense often felt stunted around around Drummond, and, and there's there's a lot to like about Drummond. I would like, like you're saying, if he can ever get to a team that's actually got other competent players on it and a competent system around him. I mean, maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe he'll end up with your rockets, man. Would that be interesting? Him and Harden. I would love that. I just, I, I'm tired of being short. Like PJ Tucker is six, five Danny green. The Lakers shooting guard is taller than, our center like let that sink in like and i mean i mean lebron was like i mean I, I was like it was almost embarrassing i mean not to mention that the lakers solved the rockets after game two so game three it was like okay we we've already figured and the rockets never made any adjustments after i mean at all and that's mike d'antoni more of him but but Damn. when lebron when our when, when lakers shooting guard is taller than our center then we have a problem. And I'm just tired of being <laughs> small. Like, I'm just tired of getting beat by rebounds, offensive rebounds, and all that stuff like that. So, for once, I want us to get beat by having a big team. You know, like, I'm fine with that. Okay, we can lose, but I'm tired of losing by, oh, the team got another offensive rebound, or he's jumped, like, this tall guy is jumping over our guys and getting all these second-chance points, and we can't, we're getting beat up losing like that. So I, I, I'll take Andre Drummond. Christopher, just to clarify for our listeners, you are not related to Eric Gordon in any way, are you? Not at all. Not okay. at all. <laughs> I like Eric Gordon. 
I want to trade him for Al Horford. That's my dream. Oh, oh wow. I, I want to trade. Ooh. Yeah, I want to trade yeah, Eric it, Gordon for Al Horford. I want. I Which want team Horford says no? Else. Which team says no? You tell me. Who says no? It makes sense. It makes sense. So, but I just I don't know if if they can get more for Al Horford. Like, there's got to be there's got to be some teams who look at Al Horford and all like. I don't know. Does Al Horford go to the Warriors for Andrew Wiggins or something like that? So mm. we'll see. That would be good. That would be. All good. right, hey man, uh, would you be okay uh, transitioning to some politics talk? Let's do it. All right, I guess uh, it's kind of just kind of big overarching questions to get us started. I want to know what's your political journey been like through your life? Uh, did you grow up with certain values, and have they changed over time? Yeah. Uh... I, I guess for the podcasters who might not know, I'm black and I was born black, <laughs> been black all my life. So uh, g- growing up, like uh, my family, I mean, they they vote. My dad will tell you, straight Democrat, straight Democrat, you know. And so it's just that's just one of those things we know, you know, black people vote Democrat. Black people don't vote for no Republicans. Like, no, uh, they ain't never looked out for us. Them, like them racist Republicans and all, like that's just what we, you know, black people do not vote. We straight Democrat from my family, from my friends, from my churches. Like we, they are like very vocally Democrat. And so, uh, I mean, I grew up around that. I've even met, met a quite a few like political figures and, and everything like that all happen to be Democrat. And so that's just kind of the world that I grew up in. And so uh, that's been my journey. Uh, as I got older, and I would say around uh, around like 18 or 19, that was my, my first vote, and I was in college, I really started kind of looking at the issues for myself and kind of breaking things down. Cause, and I'm a, I was a philo- I'm, I am a philosophy major. At, uh, when, I, when I did undergrad, my major was philosophy. My minor was in religious studies. And, uh, and so, I was always thinking critical and breaking things down. So I wanted to know what are these issues and topics. So I started thinking about it from my own angle. And so uh, I've, I haven't, I've kind of strayed away from that kind of, you know, we always have to vote Democrat, always have to do Democrat. Uh, I'm not afraid to cast a different ballot nowadays. So that's been my journey. <laughs> Well, I shared uh, I shared on the first podcast kind of my rundown and and just quickly on it. It's I've I've voted Democrat my whole life. I'm sitting here wearing a Bernie shirt, and it's not. I was wearing a Bernie shirt today. Okay, like I, had, I bought like yeah, exactly. I I I had like ten of them back in 2016 when I was a, a Bernie bro, and I had my my celebs for Bernie Twitter account, which is still out there, and got quoted in a CNN article. Like I was all in on feeling the burn, man. I had a Bernie coffee mm. mug and I was wow. stamping dollars with feel the burn, you know, just stupid <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, right? I had a Bernie <laughs> sign that was light up that was in my window. Like it was completely ridiculous. But um you know you hope for good things and I saw I saw hope in, in Bernie at that time. Um, but I've, I've voted Democrat at every single presidential election that I've voted in, which has been like, I don't think I was old enough to vote for, for Gore or I would have, but I voted for Kerry. I, I voted for Obama twice. Um, I, uh, I didn't vote. I, I voted 
third party last election in 2016 because I didn't want to vote for Trump. I didn't want to vote for Hillary. I just I looked at both of them and I said, you're both establishment. I'm sick of right. everything that's been going on my whole life. I keep reading into things and, and seeing how like the opportunity for our generation is on a steady downward slope from our parents onward. And like, we're one of the first generations that's had to deal with uh, the quote unquote tragedy of reduced expectations or like growing up with certain understandings of what a dollar is supposed to buy in this world and realizing that like, Oh, since nine 11, and even before that, you know, over the last 40, 50 years, we've just seen a steady decline of the value of the dollar. And mm-hmm. and ultimately, what we really need to talk about is not left and right wing po- political stuff, but more about what institutions do we have and how are they working for us as a people. And um, that's a big part of why I wanted to do this podcast is to just have conversations with people from different backgrounds who have maybe change their opinions over times and, and have in-depth conversations where we kind of show how nuanced our perspectives all are when we yeah. give each other the speak about our perspectives instead of getting, you know, you, you start having a random conversation and someone says, Oh, you support this person. Oh, they're a, they're this, or, Oh, they're that. And that means you're that. It's, <laughs> right. Oh, dude, You don't know why I support that person. Ask me a question, you know? Right. Like, I kid you not, my stepmother, and and they all, like, I mean, because, you know, black people don't do anything but vote Democrat. So when I was like, when Donald Trump, like, I, I, I always looked at this 2016 election like this. I always said there are two game changers in this whole election. There's Bernie Sanders, who's a game changer, and then there's Donald Trump. Everybody else just seems like your standard politician. Like, because, yeah. I mean, their voice was different. You know, you can say Trump's voice is different because of the negative thing, because he just didn't sound like a politician. He doesn't talk like one. He didn't carry himself like a politician. And then Bernie Sanders, who just was kind of like your game changing politician, who was just going to change the entire way that we thought about government. The same way that you see a, a ton of people showing up at Trump rallies on the right in 2016, I went to two different Bernie rallies. Those things were packed. People waited for hours for that dude standing in line, though. You didn't you didn't really care. You you know, right. waiting on concrete in a in a, you know, an empty hangar or whatever. You didn't really care because the people you were hanging out with, everybody was there for hopeful reasons. You know, most people don't support candidates for negative reasons that you know most people aren't rooting for war and stuff like that when no matter no. which side you're on we all want peace we all want security and and the, you know the freedom to kind of live without being burdened by crap we shouldn't be burdened by yeah like and that's 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 the thing that kind of makes i mean 2016 so interesting I mean, this election, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I think there's less of that. Like that kind of hopeful, like, like we're on a press. I mean, you could, you, he was able to, and I mean, Bernie Sanders was, and Donald Trump was to another extent. Uh, but Barack Obama, I think he started that. That kind of like made you want to believe in like, wow, like he wooed you. And he was able to, like, he gave you hope. I mean, that was his book you know, audacity to hope. But when he yeah, talked, yeah. you know, that whole, like when he told you about his vision, 
he was able to grab you in and you hope that it was right. Even if it never came to fruition, you still, he was able to get you, get you to put your hopes onto him. Oh, I, uh, I mean, I voted for Obama initially and I did, I bought into all the hope and the change and stuff. I went to his, his first inauguration and that was one of the most hopeful days of my yeah. life. Like everybody that was there in DC on that day, I ended up watching his inauguration from like a mile away. And I was even like, shoot, I was probably four football fields away from the closest big screen to even try to see half of it. You could hear it all well, but I was like way back by the, the Washington monument. And on top of a, I was sitting on top of a, uh, a porta john with like three other people because there was no room to, to even try to see. And we had gotten trapped in this area because for like a mile away from where the inauguration was happening from the Capitol building, he was, it was just packed. You just, you couldn't move. It was so tight. If you wanted to move from one spot to the next, you had to say, Hey man, I would like to go that way. Do you mind if we switch spots? So then you were like dancing and turning with somebody. There was no, there was no distancing for sure. But like, it was all groovy. You know, everybody that was there was so excited about what was coming over the, you know, with Barack Obama and the hope for change and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I got, I got really frustrated with him and I, I, because when he, when he first got elected and a lot of people will try to debunk this or say it didn't happen, but he got elected with a supermajority. They had the house, they had the Senate. When he walked in, he could have passed whatever he wanted. If he would have gotten on his bully pulpit and his soapbox and Twitter or Facebook or wherever was the most popular at the time. And he would have gotten on guys the way that as much as people may not like it, the tactics. Donald were, Trump. Yes. Thank you. The way I look, I say this, like out and people they and and I was like, okay, if Barack Obama was running for president again in 2020, I was like, I would not vote for him because he's for me, he left so much on the table. And it's like Donald Trump showed you if if Barack Obama, I wish you can call it moxie. I wish that Barack Obama had half as much moxie or balls as much as Donald Trump had because he's showing you how he can get, how he can push his agenda and ride for his base. And I'm just like, I wish Barack Obama had half of that. And I'm just like, well, for me, my my perspective of that is that either before he won or as part of the whole nomination process in which he was getting put in place to be the, the democratic nominee, there was a point where, all his platitudes and all that great speech writing that was a lot of fun to attend and get rip, you know, rip raw all about hip hip hooray. The fact that it didn't materialize once he was in office, that just showed to me like, Oh, you know, one bird, two wings left and, you know, left and right is just, it's the same people together. The the reason Mm -hmm. why, the reason why Bush's politics were so similar to Clinton's politics. And now we're getting the same with, with Obama, like, I mean, we just keep putting the establishment into the establishment and they're never going to give up power. And it doesn't matter what label you you think they are. And the thing about about Trump, too, is that when he was going through that 2016 primary against the Republicans, like they were they were they were they were giving him like two billion in free advertising time by letting him on on these different networks and letting him say whatever he wanted and hamming it up and treating him like, he was. Oh yeah, Donald Trump, he's a legitimate candidate, you know, but then as soon as it looked like he would actually win, 
and he started knocking dudes off and he started winning some of those primaries, the tone changed completely. And the reason I noticed that is because I was watching so closely how the mainstream media was treating Bernie Sanders and how unfairly they were treating Bernie Sanders as a, they just weren't treating him like a legitimate candidate. They were dismissive yeah. of him completely. They, when they would have him on, if, if topics were brought up that weren't supposed to be talked about, you, they would just kind of like get glossed over or not allowed to be talked about things like that. So to watch some of the way that media treated Bernie Sanders and then to see that translated to Trump, I was like, well, if I know you're being disingenuous and dishonest about Bernie Sanders, then I I can see how some of that's exp- also being done with Trump. And so I'm going to keep an open mind about where this is all going. And that's kind of where I've been stuck in neutral for a long time, because I'm still not voting for Donald Trump in in 2020. I, I, it's not an indictment against anybody who is. Uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely not voting for Biden. But my perspective on Trump is he hasn't earned it yet. For me, I want to see more. I want to see some accountability for the things that I think have that exist in the establishment that we haven't seen accountability for. And until I see some legitimate action on that front, to me, I don't want to cast my vote. So that's where I'm at with that. Thanks for letting me go on there for a long time. No, no, good. That's what, that's what we're here for. Uh, I've already voted. So that's the good news. Uh, I voted on Saturday. I, I early voted because everybody was pushing. You got to early vote. And I, I didn't vote for Trump and I didn't vote for Biden either because <laughs> I was like, I was like, OK, I went I voted for the Green Party candidate because right. I just couldn't see myself. Uh, I, I, I couldn't see myself voting for either one of them because for me, I don't see much of a difference. One is the outspoken person and, and 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 honestly i think a lot of people are so silly enough that people hate him and i'm just like why would you hate him and and it's because like a lot of the times it's because of, he's mean he can be narcissistic he can be arrogant he can say a lot of crazy stuff on twitter but i'm like it's twitter like i don't care for me <laughs> i don't care what he says on Twitter. Like, tell me something that he's done that you hate. And you are telling me something that he tweeted. And I don't care. Because I'm like, tweeting isn't policy. So he doesn't upset me. Like, a lot of people want me to hate him. And and, and I don't. So, but, and so they automatically want to say, well, you're a Trump supporter. And it's like, I'm really not. Like, I'm really yeah. not. <laughs> like, but if you're black and you say, if you don't call him a racist or you don't hate him or you're not like, we got to get him out of here. They just think that you just automatically have to be a Trump supporter, which I'm not. But I, and I didn't like I don't I don't I don't for me. This is just my rationale. I don't want another Barack Obama because for me, Barack Obama left too much on the table. Yeah. And so I do believe that Joe Biden is in a real sense running on the kind of the coattails of Barack Obama. And uh, I haven't heard, you know, this strong, strong Biden play, uh, this pitch for Biden that doesn't involve, we got to get Trump out of there. I'm just like, well, no, 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 I get it. You all want Trump out, but tell me why I want Biden in. And most people get a little like, well, you know, he's just, not going to be Donald Trump. Well, that's not good enough for me. 
and mm-hmm. and everybody wants it like because you're black you know they say oh well uh, he didn't denounce white supremacy you gotta vote for somebody who's gonna denounce white supremacy and i'm just like once again i'm not afraid of white supremacy i'm not but for me it's just like i mean those are just words donald trump is playing to his base so that stuff doesn't affect tell me why i should vote for biden and they can't give me a good pitch on why I should vote Biden in, but they want me to vote for Biden to get Trump out. That's not good enough. I see. And the other thing that really irks me is like, I just want people to be genuine and the news isn't genuine. Like that whole, he didn't denounce white supremacy thing. Like he's denounced white supremacy. Like there's a three minute video of him doing it. In 2016. And he did it it that night too. Yeah. If you read through the transcript or you go back and watch it, they're like, would you denounce this? Would you denounce that? He's like, sure. You know, but, yeah. but they're just like pushing it until they get like the response they want to create the narrative they want. And like, I know that that sounds conspiratorial or whatever, but no, like, it's true. It's definitely <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, it's I- these, did you, did you read the WikiLeaks emails at all back in 2016? The, no. the John what, Podesta what ones or whatever? Okay. No, I don't. I don't even know what words you're allowed to say when you're streaming. By the way, because you know everything gets censorship these days. But um, <laughs> but no, I see one of the one of the you know what? How are you radicalized, Kyle? Uh, if I'm asking myself a question, I read the WikiLeaks emails. I was tracking all that on Twitter when people would share the uh, you know a screenshot of an email and then you you read through it and then they would put the link with it so you could go actually look at the email and like. All those WikiLeaks emails were verified. There's like a Google code from Gmail that like they're real. And Mm. the people involved never said they weren't. And like so much of what's going on in regards to, um, man, there's, sorry, there's some terms I don't want to use because I don't want to get a stream taken down or a podcast taken down, you know, or whatever. But like due to the censorship stuff, but essentially like there were certain things that that were pretty blatant corruption in our establishment politics in these emails where it's just like, yeah, I'm never voting for the establishment people. And like, there's, there's a bunch of journalists implicated who like Haberman and stuff like that. Like people that work at these different, uh, mainstream media news organizations, they're named in these emails as being, Oh, they're very helpful. They can tee up stories for you and do all this. You know, if we, if we need to push a, essentially a narrative, we can go to this person to do this or that. And it, it, but the thing is, a lot of people don't want to believe that it's real, but it's it, if you go back and you do enough of your own research and enough of your own looking into history, you'll find out yeah. that the I think it was like the church commission or something uh, when they had that might be the wrong thing. But there was something where this, the CIA admitted to having like over 40 or like 400. I don't remember the exact number. And sorry, I'm not I can't remember everything, but. You know, but essentially the point is there was a bunch of people that the CIA had in our media and that was called the Mockingbird uh, plan or or whatever you want to call it that they put in. And it was essentially it's not that they like raise these people up and we're like, we're forming you into a media person. It's once people are in pos- positions of power or whatever, they can go to them and say, hey, uh we'll give you extra money if you help push this or, you know, like there's just, yeah. plus, you know, who wouldn't want to be a CIA agent, you know? Oh, we're going to give you special access to all this, these news stories that will get you notoriety and all the, you know, and we'll get special access to all these different generals or whatever. Like 
it's it's it builds your ego plus it builds yeah. your profile builds your resume and like it's not once you really start to understand how the systems work or see how some of the the webs are tied together it's it's easier to understand that like it's not a grand conspiracy as much as it is like it's it's just a bunch of gangsters in suits running different scams controlling the content like we i i got a lesser example we see it in sports like there's things that gets covered and the things that like don't get covered. It's like, like you'll see something and it's like, wow. Like and the ESPN will run it from like 11 PM to about 7 AM the next morning. And you would think that that was like the most pivotal play of the game when it really wasn't. And it's like, <laughs> they're only showing this because LeBron did it. And it's like, yeah. but it, it it really wouldn't like they oh LeBron's defense is back to where it used to be. And LeBron is getting his block when they're already up by like 15. And it wasn't like a pivotal part, but they gotta run this story of LeBron is looking like he's in the best shape ever. And it's like it's not true. They're pushing their own, they're creating the narrative. It used to be well, do you think some of that is just keeping the relationship with LeBron too, though? Like, hey, uh, look, we're 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 treating you really nicely on our platform so if they ever want to invite him to do something on the platform he'll be more you know open to it business but when has he done something on a platform like i don't know he, he doesn't like, and so I, I i think it's one of those things where it's like uh like i mean people will talk about it like there are certain things that just automatically get ratings that's easy yeah, ratings yeah. lebron the lakers you know so even when you can bring them up even when they're not doing anything significant, like those are easy ratings. So yeah. uh, people and some of that just and a lot of that just seems like greed, which is yeah, like that's corruption. Everybody can understand because it's not necessarily it's gr- corruption. It's just ego. Yeah, yeah. But but the same with the news. They 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 they've kind of you know stuck with these same narratives. Like there's so much, so many stories that don't get airtime. But they'll stick with these same old, same old hot button issues. And you'd be like, wait a minute. You would think that the story is over. It's just no people stop talking about it. And the news don't want to air it no more because they moved on to something else. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. It's eh, some of the stuff I do think that they they just are like told not to cover. And I, I think we're kind of seeing that more bald facely this week with that the New York Post stuff with some of the the stories that are like the New York post Twitter, Twitter, uh, official Twitter being shut down for the last like six days because they refused to delete some tweets about a story that they published that had like, from what I've come to see seemingly verifiable evidence uh, in regards to like the laptops being real and the situation being legitimate. Now I know that there's narratives out there that say that it's not, and that's fine. I'm not, I don't know. I've never been to Delaware or Connecticut or wherever the heck this is. I don't even know if the store exists. That's the other thing about consuming news and people getting so emotional about certain opinions about stuff. It's like you read a story on the internet. If we really want to examine what that means, it doesn't mean anything. You, you know, like you don't even know this. You don't know that. Have you ever met Hunter Biden or is he just an actor, you know, like, so that's why another reason why like people getting so passionate about their politics, I get it. I've had depression 
for a long time because I got so, you know, so wrapped up in Bernie back in 2016. When that went down, I was like, no, oh, I can't believe he endorsed her. Ah. Uh, Hillary, um, no, how could well, he endorse Hillary? He, he bent the knee. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I'd like legit depression, you know, for and, and for other stuff too, as I've gone down to certain and found certain realizations about how our systems are set up and how corrupt they are because all these people are gangsters in suits. I just right. think something that we're seeing right now is that whereas in the past, a lot of those conflicts between the left and the right were manufactured and meant to make you believe that there was this division. I believe the division now is between the establishment and whatever the heck Trump is. I don't know what he is. But it seems like he's he's aligned with certain people and, you know, he's got his own little pocket because Trump, Trump is Agent Smith from the Matrix. <laughs> he's grown too big for the Republican Party. So they just like he's the, the anomaly to the system. And he's that's hilarious. Something. He's Agent Smith. You're right. Not the whole system, but the Republican system. He's he's yeah. the, uh, he's Agent Smith. That is so funny. That's Agent so apt, too. Oh. <laughs> I love the Matrix. All three movies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, hey, yeah, because you're a philosophy guy. Of course you would like yeah. the the I mean, I mean, I guess I would assume you would enjoy the the second and the third one a little bit more than maybe some people who thought it got a little too in the muck. No, I enjoyed them all. Like I yeah. I mean, those those all three of them are like must watch. I mean, yeah, like oh, I, mean, I think one is the best because one can just stand alone and just be a great movie by itself. Like I, like I was shocked when they were like, "They're gonna have a part two? Because <laughs> it was like, I mean, one could stand alone and still be just a great movie. And Absolutely. So part two, I was like, "Yeah, this is good." And part three, it was like, "Yes." And I mean, you don't see that done. Remember? Okay, this is going way back, but remember they released them around the same time. Like part two and three were like kind of yeah. only a few, few. It was only like six months or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like yeah, it, it might have been know? a year because that that, that was kind of standard for when they were releasing two at once or you know two kind of close together. But yeah, it might have only been like six months. You, yeah, and but that you're right. Stuff rarely happens, and it was yeah. like wow, they're gonna release them back like kind of close together. And I was like, this is great. Like life is. Life well, is I lovely. think. I think I went and saw the first, the first uh, Matrix. Like, I didn't even know what I was going to. My one of my my older brother was like, "Hey, we're gonna go to the the midnight movies at the local theater on like a Saturday night or whatever." And uh, and you know, was that was that nineteen ninety nine? And uh, so I was in like a sophomore or junior in high school, and you know, I was just happy to be going out that late at night and doing something and not having to be home until two in the morning for some reason. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, we go and watch the movie and like, I'm pretty sure I went back within the next day and a half and watched it again. And I think I watched really? it like three or four times because I was I was just so blown away by it, dude. I was like, this is it. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is the movie. So Yeah. <laughs> um, This is what the Matrix is all about, spirituality and religion and stuff. So I would like to know, Christopher, uh. What's your spiritual journey been like through your life? Did you grow up with certain beliefs and have they changed over time? I I, I grew up in church, but I, I, I wasn't saved. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, for me, I didn't get saved. I would say until I was 
my senior year in high school, my freshman year in college. And so, uh, like, I was always going through the motions and everything like that because, like, we, my mom made us go to church and all this stuff. I come from a big family of six of us. I got six brothers and sisters. And so she made us all go to church. And so when she when she struggled, like, trying to raise us and everything, the church was like, you know, that, that go-to place. So we've always had to go, but it was... It was never in me. So uh, once I turned 17, 18, between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college, that's when it it really took on a new life. I, I For the first time in my life, that's when I got saved. And I knew that it was no longer my mother's faith. And I, I would go on my own and I was seeking the Lord for myself. And it, even if she decided not to, that I was still going to pursue God on my own and pursue the Lord. And I, I was able to break away from, you know, my family and her. And I mean, not in a bad way. I mean, she wasn't no abusive or anything, but it was just like, you just realize that if I'm going to be grown, then this is not my mother's faith. This is my own spiritual journey. This is my own walk. And so uh, it led me to, I, I studied philosophy uh, then I went on to get a minor in religious studies. And then I ended up going off to a seminary. And then I uh, finished seminary, came out there for graduate school at Baylor. Then after that, came back to Houston, was doing ministry ever since, and uh, enrolled at HVU in their doctoral program. And so uh, I've been I've been in ministry for since since 2004. So at least about 16 years, uh, I'm a full-time minister. I'm a, I've been a chaplain. I just finished my chaplain. Uh, I just uh, stepped away from a chaplain position. So I've worn many hats. I've been young adult minister, youth minister, college minister, director of ministry, youth minister. So I've seen a lot of different ministry landscapes. So that's kind of where my journey is now. <laughs> I mean, that's uh doing that though you have to be a really great listener right i mean yeah. or you have to, you have to be willing to just kind of i'm just gonna sit back and let you go <laughs> um and you also have to be understanding because people come at you with i mean i would bet everything right like i mean if you're if you're if you're there to be a spiritual guide they're gonna come at you with a lot of emotions sometimes so um i just i'm just kind of reflecting because i don't I've had friends who have done uh, a lot of music ministry stuff in the past, um, but I don't have a lot of friends who are deeply religious up here in Michigan. And even when I lived in Wisconsin for 10 years, like maybe it was just, maybe it's because I've not, I've never really been deeper, deeply religious, at least in my adult life. But um, I'll t I've gotten really spiritual in the last couple of years and it's, made me open my mind a little bit more to some of the things that I had kind of closed my mind to. Um, and I'll tell you what, when you, when you share your, uh, your beliefs with people, the, you get a lot of weird looks, you know, or just even sharing ideas about like things that you can't see in faith and whatnot. Like it, it I don't know. It's, it's, it's not to say that people are necessarily judging as much as like, um, this is maybe that's maybe just a reflection of how everybody's faith is kind of personal and their spirituality is personal. And like, and then, and some of the, 
like, I don't want to, it's so weird. You know, sometimes we get hung up on letting ourselves say certain words and it's just like, does it, I don't know. It may matter to you, but I don't know if it matters what you call it sometimes, but like, as long as you're giving yourself up to giving your ego up to the idea that like, you're not the, you're not the only thing going on or you're not the biggest thing going on or like, I don't know, just like giving yourself up to the flow of the universe or God or God's plan or however you want to put it. Like there's, there's definitely a lot in my spiritual growth that I've, I guess I find more peace in just kind of like, I'll tell you what I fear the whole, uh, the whole, uh, saying of, uh, fear is the, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. Like, as I've done my spiritual journey, that thing has become more true than anything. And I think that's been, uh, very true in 2020. Like a lot of people don't want to, don't want to admit it or don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say don't want to admit it because I don't know what other people think. Um, but I think there's a lot of fear out there that, yeah. or people, and even if you're not like, even if you don't realize it or, um, sorry, man, I'm just trying to find a way to put this without being offensive no, because I don't want to offend anybody. But, um, essentially I think we've had a lot of fear pushed on us as a society this year and people who don't feel comfortable looking at certain aspects or certain alternative ideas or accepting the idea that they've been lied to in a huge way. Um, Anybody who's selling you fear, in my opinion, I don't uh, come on, man. Like yeah. they're trying to, they're trying to pull something on you in, in my belief. Cause most people uh, should be telling you hope. I want to give you a hug when you come, come meet me. I don't want to tell you to F off pal. <laughs> I think, I think people that people that want to sell you fear, uh, they, 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 they want to control you. And you see like a lot of people use fear to kind of, keep you in line and put you in and kind of really as a means of control. And that's, I think that's one of the things that, that once you really like discover from your own journey and your own quest that you're on that, man, like that's, that's not what it's about. Like that I was being controlled and people being like, even lied to and as a means of control. And that's not, that's not the way God operates. And that's one of the things that kind of just really opened my world up. And it's like, you know, I, I struggled to see like, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm young, I guess you can say I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I'm, 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 I'm I got this facial hair thing going on. And it's just <laughs> like, I mean, people's just like, uh, even now they'll say, well, I, I like you better when you look like a minister. And it's like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but, I guess I don't look like it now. And, and I dress, I like I only wear a suit when I have to, if I'm preaching. If I'm not preaching, I don't wear suits. So I'm wearing shorts and tennis shoes and my shoe collection. And, and I'm just so, I'm just so comfortable just being Chris. Like, I don't mm -hmm. feel like I have to be the minister or reverend or anything like that, or a chaplain, or I just be Chris. And that's where I'm kind of made my peace at. And I think that's the way the Lord looks at me. Uh, I don't. I don't think He expects for me to be anything but but that. And that's that was just so liberating that you don't have to stay within. Even with my mom, and, and I love my mother, but she'll have this. You know, you need to look a certain way. You need to be this certain way, and try to put me in this 
within these lines. And it's just like, I'm not comfortable there. Like my spirit soars in different spaces. And so that's kind of like, I, I've had to discover that for myself that I'm not afraid to be me. I'm not afraid to be sensitive. I'm not afraid to smile a lot. You know, I'm not afraid to fit into the narrative that you think that I should be. So. I know I, I dig that a lot because uh, I, you know, I question everything to the point that you, Look, man, you don't want to question things to the point that you're driving yourself insane and that you're not happy and that, you know, you're just filled with anxiety all the time. You don't want to do that, obviously. Um, but like just in in acknowledging the things that I've come to see in regards to how we do get programmed or in just influenced by the things we consume through our media and whatnot, um, it makes me wonder, like, all right, how much have I been programmed to carry certain things that I shouldn't carry or worry about certain things that I shouldn't worry about. And I think that's an evaluation that everybody does as we go through life. But, um, I, man, I've, I, one of my favorite things to do is just sit out in the, sit out in the backyard in the grass and, you know, sit on when the sun's out and just catch some rays, you know, and chill and read a book. And like, I don't know, man, I, there's, one of the things about our society is like so many people have to work so hard just to get by to afford rent and stuff like that, that it's like it gets ingrained in you that you're supposed to be on the grind all the time. When in my mind, I think as I've gotten more spiritual, I'm like, yo, yo, everybody needs to slow down, breathe deep and just go at, you know, go at a slower pace, have, have the time to have a conversation with somebody, have time you know, it's, 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 it's managing the, um, the, de the demands of society, um, against some common sense realizations or maybe some spiritual, uh, growth. Um, you know, it's, you know, being right with, uh, society and societal norms is not the same thing as being right with, uh, God in, in some respect, know. you know, let me so. ask you this. Do you feel alive? Do you feel more alive since you've been kind of doing things that way? Yeah. Um, in a, it's tough, man. It, it's tough to, it's tough to maybe parse that all out because like I do carry a lot of anxiety and like, I'm not showing it now because I really like doing this. You know, it's fun. It's, this is, this is the moment where I'm not stressed out about anything really. Uh, before the podcast, yeah, I get all butterflies and, and a little bit of, you know, weird and whatnot. But like, and I'm also the kind of person that carries anxiety. Like when I have to get ready to go to a job, even a job that I like, I, you know, I use CBD for my anxiety and whatnot. That helps me kind of shut off a lot of the negativity in my mind. It's all the research I've done says it's healthy. I'm not telling anybody else to do anything with it. I'm not a doctor, but uh, given my perspective, um, but um, in general, I, I'm loving being open-minded about spirituality, about the idea that there are either senses I haven't learned how to use yet or um, energies that I haven't discerned because I wasn't taught to discern them. Like, I like the idea of chakras and the different energy Pre, you know, sections in your body, you know, there's, there's a reason why you get headaches and you feel pressure in your head. There's, you know, it's a buildup of energy maybe, or obviously it's different stuff. If you're 
want to be more scientific about it, but you know, you've got the energy of your throat and you can feel that energy. It vibrates, put your hand on there when you're talking. Uh, you've got different energy in your heart pumping all, all that stuff through there. You've got different energies in your stomach. So like when you, when you just think about it from a common sense kind of way and you, uh, I, I, a lot of the spiritual stuff makes sense to me. And yep. And that's, that's just it. Like ultimately the, the going down that rabbit hole of, it just seems to make sense. And prayers, uh, um, chanting, uh, all these different things like, man, like this is magic us talking to each other. And I don't mean over the internet. I mean, like the fact that we both have learned how to make similar sounds with our mouths and our ears can receive, you know what I'm saying? It's magic, man. Or it's like, mm -hmm. it's beautiful. However you want to say it, you know, I, you yeah. know saying it's magic. No, it's not. It's just, it's, sound and voice. Yeah. yeah, you can, you uh, can, we can, we can measure your sound waves and all this kind of, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. But like, we're essentially singing to each other and yet people want to choose to sing mad songs and angry songs at each other and stuff like that and we get so whatever sorry i'm getting a little bit too uh <laughs> too <hippie. laughs> no, it, i i understand like the fact that we can talk and there's a certain rhythm and a connection like when you say this i hear that and it seems like like we can be on that same wavelength and that's i think i think it is something magical about it like my my well i can't take complete credit for this theory but C.S. Lewis has this quote that I really, really love. And they say that, uh, he says, people say that you have a soul. And he says, false. That's not true. He said, you are a soul and you have a body. And I'm like, yeah, that's so true. Because I believe this. And this is just based off that quote. I believe that we're more spiritual than we think. That we spend, our generation spends so much time investing in the physical and everything like I work out too, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I like working. I work out like five five times out of the week. There's, but there's we invest some spiritual building with working out, man. You get done exactly. with the workout, you feel great. You're right, you feel energized. You feel like this big magnetic monster of you know mm -hmm. awesomeness. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, dude. I don't work out a lot, but uh, before <laughs> I get on a podcast, I'll pump a couple of you know uh, reps, and like you come on here feeling better about yourself. So yeah. and that's that's spirit, right? It is. I, I think I think we're more spiritual than than and but I think one of the things, I mean, we're Americans. We were brought up in the United States. At least I think, yeah, we are. And but a lot of other countries seems to kind of recognize that we're not all this work 65 years, retire, 401k, corporate. Like they other countries are more in tune with the spiritual sense of the world than I think we've been taught to in America. Because us, life is always about advertising, marketing, money, you know, 401k, retirement, pleasures, and all that stuff, the thing, family, kids, dog, and uh, career, voting, and all of those things, you know, stocks, grandchildren, boats, beach houses, uh, all item. of that stuff, you know, or fame, you know, New York state of mind, celebrity and all that other stuff we, we we're taught right we are taught that that that's what life is about and with in in reality is it's not that we are more spiritual than we really realize and in america 
we've dumbed, we've reduced life so low that our spiritual selves is crying to get out. Yeah. No, I mean, we're all afraid to... I, you also have some of the control that I see, which this may be getting too deep into the weeds on something, but uh, and this is more political in some respects, but some of the control I see is like, they'll tell us that words don't mean what they mean sometimes. Like they'll, like some some people like the way certain words are used it'll be like well no you can't say it in that way because of this and that and whatnot and it's like well hold on like you're just you're like trying to get people to be offended by things that they don't need to be offended by right and and you're purposely causing division and at the same time like some of these notions get pushed by people who historically would say like their whole thing is about unity and love and you know like so it's just I guess it's like anything you get frustrated with people when it seems like they're being hypocritical, but yeah. that might also be another, uh, uh, kind of something to spotlight where it's like, well, maybe I need to have deeper conversations with, with people who think that way that, and, and the way that I'm painting them as being kind of in a big swath, I need to have them on the podcast to have, you know, them share their opinion so that we get to that common ground and, and the nuance and everything. Um, I guess I took it uh, a little bit away, but is there anything else that you wanted to ask at, at right now? Otherwise, I got a couple of kind of rapid fire questions I can throw at you. No, let's do some rapid fire. All right. All right. This is just uh, as we wrap this up, I wanted to ask you a couple quick questions. Uh, feel free to give one word answer uh, or to pass on the question or to get verbose. But I always want to try to end on a positive vibe. So if you don't mind, uh, Chris, what makes you happy or how do you maintain or find happiness? I, I I get excited being around people, and uh, I and people say, "Oh, are you an extrovert or introvert?" I don't know because I enjoy solitude <laughs> as much. But when I'm around, I mean, I, I I enjoy studying and everything like that. I'm big on studying and reading. But when I'm around people, like I get a rush. Like I love being around good company. And people say, "Well, what do you want to? What do you like doing for fun?" It's not for me. Fun is not a what; it's a who. Because if you put me around some good company, we can go to the library and have fun. We can go to Target and it'll be the best time of our lives. Like, you know, just put me around some good people and good company. And 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 I'm I'm excited just being around other people. So that's awesome. I dig it. No, I I mean I don't know if I'm just a lonely person or whatever, but shopping is always better with one other person. Yeah. Uh, even if you're not shopping together, but you're just like, hey, you want to go to the store together? You know, like having somebody else to ride to the store with you is is, uh, is fun. To bounce little jokes off, you know? Yeah. Inside yeah. yeah. It's, it's just being with other people, man. That's We're social beings. We're, are, we're connected. We're, I don't know, man. I We were made yeah, I, to be. To I, be I, hate, I hate the idea of all this social distancing because I'm like, it's disconnecting us. Like, it's making it yeah. harder to have conversations with each other. We're all getting like, even if I like, after I get done here with, you know, hanging out with you, I'm going to go grab uh, a drink for myself up at the bar and just get out of the house or whatever. And kind of celebrate a little bit. The fact that the podcast got launched. Um, but like standing at the bar right now, you're not really supposed to go around and mingle. You're supposed to have your mask on if you're up walking around. So like, it's, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I got lucky. I, I hate that week when I was at the jukebox and somebody started talking to me. So see, like, like I hate that that these masks 
you know, have caused people to be more and more suspicious of, of other strangers. Like, yep. I think it's like, come on, man. Like, I, I, I speak to people. I'll have a conversation with strangers. I, I like, I love people. So like, but now these masks and everybody's so leery of one another. And I'm just like, I'm not going to be in fear of, I'm not going to live like that where I'm no. always suspicious. And I mean, and remember when everybody told us that this virus was uh, like, it, it comes by cough or it comes by hand or touching. So don't touch nobody. And then it kept that it's airborne. So people, it's like, how, like, I'm, I've just gotten to the point now where we don't know how to stop this thing. So this whole idea of me just, I'm not going to walk around and be afraid of everybody or suspicious or live like that. I'm, I just can't. So, That's kind of the I, thing for me. It, there's not enough. Look, there's, there's a lot of narratives out there to make people be afraid. But when you dig into the data, when you dig into the hypocrisy of how this has been handled in a lot of respects, it's hard to come away feeling like you can trust that a lot of the things that they've said is is worth the level of fear that's been put out there and worth shutting down businesses, worth stopping hugging your loved ones, worth stopping visiting your your uh, you know, your family members who are in end of life care facilities. Are you serious? Or, you know, uh, retirement homes, you haven't visited them all year. Like I'm not judging, like you do what you got to do to for yourself. But from my opinion, life's more important. And, and especially if those, if those older people are saying to you, I accept the risk, whatever you think it might be, then geez, oh Pete, man, spend time with them because if go you are see under your a grandmother, strength, yes, go see your grandma. Shoot. <laughs> so God, which I've, I've been, I've been really lucky. I still got my grandma here. She's like 95 mm. and she, uh, she's, she's, she's a spitfire. You know, she, um, she likes it when you're, when her grandkids, cause she had 10 kids. So she's got a ton of grandkids. She's got her kids still living in town and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll hang out with, you know, my mom and my grandma and we'll go, we'll go out to some pottery place, you know, uh, an hour away in the middle of the, the woods that only trolls and fairies know about. So <laughs> and Billy goats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, it's family and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just, it's what matters. Right. You know? I, I had to, I had to bury my brother. My brother got got murdered during this pandemic in April. And and I was at his funeral and it kept saying, social distance, social distance, put on a mask. And I'm just like, you know, I'm at my brother's funeral. And I'm just like, if I if I got a my brother was shot and if I got to die from COVID at my brother's funeral, then it's worth it. I mean, that, yeah. that's fine for me. You know what I'm saying? I, I'll gladly go and accept my my death by he was at his brother's funeral and he got too close to somebody and he caught COVID and died. I'll take that. You know, because yeah. but I'm not finna not hug my loved ones and not grieve because of this whatever. I'm like, look, man, I'm not finna no. You know, no. I'm so yeah, I'm hugging my people, man. I'm grieving. So yeah. Uh, uh thank you for sharing that. Um yes, so sir. sorry, dude. Uh, thank you i love you chris love uh, you man thank you um i wish i could hug you right now buddy uh, <laughs> but you know I, I appreciate you sharing that because i'm sure there's a lot of people who you know we're in a similar situation where that you, you've got 
you got people saying one thing to you and it's just like, no, I'm going to use common sense and love right here. And we're going to walk with that and end up wherever we end up. <sighs> well, um, oh, hey, I've got a hopeful question for you here. Um, what are what are your hopes for the world or the future? Uh, I, I, I want us to I want us to in America. I, I mean, I'm a minister, so I'm always thinking that revival. And I think that, that there's an, another great awakening because I think people have lost hope. And I think that that's one of the things that I want to see out of, out of, out of our generation. I think we've lost hope. Like we, we've become apathetic politically. We've become apathetic spiritually. We've become apathetic with our careers and economics and things like that. Like we've become apathetic when it comes to marriage. We don't even believe in love hardly anymore. Like everything is being so like stomped on and deconstructed that it's almost like, well, why live? And, and I think that's one of the things why we're so like, you know, I think chemically dependent. And I think social media does not help, you know, because social media increases our depravity, you know, comparing our lives to other people and things like that and seeing like, well, I'm not doing as well as this guy. And, or, and the celebrities seem like they have it all together. But I think we've lost hope. <laughs> and I want us to hope again. I want us to like love again and and i know like you know i want us to love again like i mean i've had my heart broken and i mean i've gone on dates i've been rejected i deal with rejection but i want us like for me the lord won't let me quit and i want us to have that it happens it sucked but i'm still gonna keep on going i'm still gonna live again i'm still gonna smile again mm -hmm. i want us to rediscover I that you know, um, something that gives me hope is like, I felt so let down by Obama and the fact that I felt like, like you were kind of saying he left a lot on the table or there was things that he should have done. He should have stepped up more when he had that super majority, in my opinion, and he should have passed healthcare for everybody. Like that's yeah. the reason we can't have healthcare for everybody. Isn't because we can't afford it and all this kind of stuff. People want to talk about all that. No, no, no. It's corruption. It's right. the big industries that don't want you to have uh national health care that's reasonable because if it ever was actually set up in a reasonable way and doctors actually treated you like they should treat you a lot of the money that's out there getting made right now would be wiped out because so much of what we're sold in the in the medical area is snake oil like it's a lot of people the you know the what was hippocrates or whatever the hippocratic oath and then there is also the uh the old notion of that I don't know if it was Plato or Socrates, but they said, let your food, let your food be thy medicine or whatever. Like what you eat often results in, or your surroundings, your environment. If you're living in a, in a bad environment that has mold and stuff like that, that's going to cause you health, you know, issues and things like that. But like what you eat is what causes a lot of people's health issues. So that, True. and a lot of people don't want to change their diet. And it's like, well, then you're not going to get rid of those illnesses that you, that you're dealing with. If you right. know, there's, or that tumor that you got, do you really drink that particular drink? It's, you know, four times a day, like w look into that drink. Like, what do you, what are your habits? What, and I'm not judging. I'm just trying, like, I watched my best friend at age 28 die of a brain tumor. And I think it was because of 
a particular soft drink that he drank. Now, I, mm. I might be crazy, but when you look into the history of this soft drink, it's there's this whole uh, corrupt episode where certain yeah. politicians were put in place at that company to pass things through certain regulatory agencies to get the ingredients passed that weren't that are not healthy for people and yeah. that have caused tumors to grow in rats and things like that before uh charlie robinson macro aggressions podcast he's he broke it all down uh anyways you'll hear some familiar names involved in that and it's it's like it's not a conspiracy it's it's a legitimate possibility that if my friend wasn't addicted to a certain soft drink he might not have gotten brain cancer at age 28 and like and then how how is that treated by the farm you know anyways if, that's that that's that idea that america's run by corporations yeah and if, if mean, yeah it's yeah if, if somebody yeah. can make a buck off of you which is just frustrating too because like most people are good most people are trusting and so then telling these people like you pretty much need to walk through the world saying everything's a wmd and you've been lied to by the government about everything it's it's not there's not a lot of hope in that kind of of a revelation or whatever the idea that you're getting lied to all the time but when you get through all that and you can see through the baloney and you start to see what actually matters in life that to me is where my spirituality has come through is in saying like oh that's all noise man they're just they're trying to divide us they're trying to make us look at each other and say yo you're the problem pal guy right. i don't know who happens to support a particular <laughs> political candidate <laughs> are you support that guy you're a moron <laughs> like you're an idiot oh god yeah, yeah. The, the news is so like their hands are so dirty with this whole division thing it's like they capitalize off division they 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 they, they it, i'm telling you they make so much money on uh capitalizing off this i mean their hands so do you think it's mostly bigger. greed or is it maliciousness or is it a little bit of both or uh or is it agency because we do see things where like essentially certain news agent news people will work not just with our own government but with potentially a foreign government and maybe they're introducing stories and narratives that are meant to disrupt certain uh like that's just it like every narrative can affect the stock market you know when right. trump tweets he affects the stock market when trump right. oh trump's trump's got the got the virus he's going to the hospital oh the the stock market goes down trump's healthy stock market goes up to record highs and did and before even two weeks like he what he what he was like three days yeah how like so how old is he <laughs> How, how at risk are people? 74, he's is, 74, I think. Yeah. Is, is the fear legitimate? I don't know. Um, but I, I, I do think, I don't, I don't think it's just greed. I think it's also about control. Like people want control and like, uh, like everybody wants to be, I mean, I, I, I was hearing somebody talk about a book about uh, that movie After Earth. And they was talking about how After Earth was supposed to be this big old phenomenon, like almost like like what Star Trek was to that other generation. It was supposed to be this big old, you know, the After Earth movie with Will Smith and Jaden Smith. Okay. Okay. And it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I don't think I've watched it yet, though. Yeah. <laughs> and it was was it any good? How, <laughs> it, 
like a B-ish. Okay, it was a right. B-ish. But I mean, it wasn't as, it wasn't as bad as people ripped it apart, but and it was supposed to be this thing that was supposed to replace Facebook and it was supposed to be the new, like new hub and everything like that. Like I think the people who had did it wanted to create like the next thing and wanted to have control over people. Like people love having control. I think that's one of the things that makes like uh like Instagram and social media because when people have a certain amount of followers, they feel like I have now control and I have influence. And if I say stop drinking this brand of soda or stop wearing these type of shoes and these people are going to follow you, that's power. I think people still crave a certain amount of control that leads to power. I think it's just more than money. I think people crave the power that comes wow. with it. And I think the, the news is guilty. It's funny. You know, I, I think in general, you just kind of, look at endorsement deals and you're like, well, they got paid a lot of money. So they're selling the company line, but you're right. There is some, there is a power play in being able to think that you, you know, to have that egotistical mindset of being like, I can, can, I can get these people to like this thing without deciding for themselves. (laughs) So I, I I kid you not like, well, advertisers, uh, and and this might be going way. Stop me if I'm going too far. Hey, uh, dude, I just appreciate that you've been willing to talk this long. I, I love the longer <laughs> podcast. So, okay. I'll try to make this brief. Then, uh, the you remember when the well, the Matrix thing when the Matrix came out and the Matrix came out, and then Columbine was shortly after, mm-hmm. right after the Matrix came out, and it was all this uh hoopla about the imagery shown in the Matrix, how it led to Columbine out you know the trench coats the black and the shooting the uh, automatic i mean most i mean most people uh, if you were alive during that time you remember that was the new thing uh yeah. that oh my goodness how did the images from the movie affect columbine and a lot of people were like lawsuits and things like that and there was this big thing about imagery uh there's another principle of reason why they why they don't advertise suicide i uh, why they don't put out suicides because they believe that this is an actual a, a, a technical theory of why they don't uh, advertise suicides because they believe that it's gonna. I think it's a going theory. The go, going, the going theory. I, I, I have to look up the exact name. Why they don't advertise suicides is because people are gonna do it more often. Uh, there was one of them English plays where the guy committed suicide after. He is his girlfriend broke up with him and it led to more and more people committing suicide who was around that same age group as the play. Certain things matter. The images and things like that thing will catch Oh up. yeah. Wasn't there a uh there was something I think I didn't I don't remember ever reading anything big about it, but I, there was that show Thirteen Things or Thirteen Something on Netflix that was all about like suicide. And yeah, I think some people say that, why. Yeah, and kids were like, I heard that kids were being, you know, I remember that narrative going out there. I didn't look into it. I didn't confirm it with statistics or anything like that. But like, it's um, I mean, it it makes sense just because like if people are feeling those feelings and then they're looking for, it makes sense. I'm not, but it's absolutely horrible. Um, yeah. and it sucks too because like you want to be aware if there is a 
an epidemic of suicides, especially like with the situation that we had this year with lockdown and whatnot, like what's the real cost of lockdown? That's, that's the other thing. Like a lot of people who are against the masks or, uh, you know, don't necessarily believe that this is all being done on the up and up. And it's a lot of people just taking advantage of a situation for their own, uh, means it's, we're also looking at it and going like, look at all the damage being caused by this, like all the businesses being lost and whatnot. And like, sometimes it feels like people who are making arguments from the other side, just don't ever bring that up. And, and that's where, that's a division that I feel right now that I bet isn't really there as much. I'm sure if you talk to a lot of people and, and you actually ask them the, those questions straight up, they'll be like, yeah, of course I don't want people move, losing their businesses or whatever. But why don't why doesn't the government give them the money that they need to stay afloat through this situation? And it's like because it's all corrupt and it's all mm-hmm. it's all you know from it's all BS, man. It's people taking advantage of the situation. It's gangsters in suits who have realized like you know it's the reason why that war is so profitable. It's chaos. You take advantage of the chaos. What did Ron never let a disaster go to waste or whatever if COVID 19 happened in a non-election year that it would have been handled so far differently and and i'm almost i I, i'm almost one of those persons that believe this after this november election i think the COVID thing is going to really be is going to shift toward a a quicker solution i hope so i I hope so i think so i mean i don't i don't i really don't disagree with you Mm -hmm. i like I think something dramatic could happen after the like right after the election with this. But I think that what direction that is, I think it does depend on who's who's elected. I'm not so. But I don't trust any of them. (laughs) (laughs) If them both 2020. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, Chris, uh, my last question for you is, do you have any other questions for me? Oh, Man, I, I I really I I'm really grateful for this opportunity because uh, you've been able Thank to you, merge several things that I'm just like, wait a minute, like when you talked about the different topics, I'm like, wait, is that for me? Like, it's <laughs> like you know, like all those three things at, at one point in my life, I was really really like strong in, and yeah. uh, I just think that wow, like that those two three those three things that seem so separate so in different lanes and to have a, a place that kind of connects all three, man. I really, I mean, I, I pray God's best for you, man. And on your Thank own you, journey, for you stepping out, like I've been listening to you for a long time on basketball That's and so fantasy. So yeah, you, you yeah, <laughs> like when you used to play sugar lumps and all that stuff like that. <laughs> and so, so it was like, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, man. I, I really, I really pray God's best for your own personal <laughs> journey and for this podcast. Yeah. Thank you, man. I super appreciate you offering to come on like right away. And cause like, you know, that's just it. You know, when you put yourself out there, like, you know, you still, you, you know, I, I mean, I, there's plenty of people that I interact with on Twitter, but you just, you wonder like, is anybody actually gonna, gonna raise their hand for this? So I appreciate you coming on and being such an awesome guest too. Um, you just, you had an awesome, really cool, unique perspective. And, um, you know, there's, I'm glad that like one of the best things about this is like, even as I'm coming into this, you know, I think we all take our, our experiences and, and we have like 
certain ideas about how conversations are going to go or whatever, or expectations about what we already think the person might think. And I hope I surprised you in some ways, but with, you know, even though we've been, you've been following me on Twitter or whatever, or have listened to me on podcasts before, but like, I definitely have like, it's, it just goes to show like between, you know, the, 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 the other guy that I had on earlier, Sergeant Vino and yourself, like everybody's perspectives are different, but like, Again, I I hope that the the one trend that continues is that like we're all hopeful, man. We all want good things for for ourselves, for our families, for for the world, for society. And uh yeah, I hope just more I hope we can all learn to uh have better conversations as we go forward and love each other a little bit more. Whatever. I'm getting yeah. <laughs> getting into my hippie stuff but um thank you so much for being on here um yes, sir. i'm gonna do a quick uh <laughs> uh just kind of call to action for uh listeners if you like what you hear please consider rating reviewing and sharing the podcast wherever you listen or watch it and if you'd like to be an official producer of the show you can send in support through paypal venmo or cash app at kyle McEwen 16 you can also su- subscribe on patreon at free range basketball for anyone that rates reviews and or contributes as a producer of the show, I'll be sure to give you a mention on the show and I'll come help do yard work this weekend. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RotoKyleNBA. Chris, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at CSG underscore 1964. CSG underscore 1964. 1964. You weren't born in 1964, though. No, 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 no. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a groovier time for sure. All right, Chris, yeah. well, thank you so much for coming on, man. And honestly, man, you'll have to come on some other time uh, once I get get this little uh, get this little thing off and going because I think it's been a great conversation. And I think it'd be fun to uh, touch base again sometime if you're down. Cool. I am. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you have a great night, dude. All right. Peace. Take care. Bye. Keep tugging at our heels, watch us high step and be a highlight reel of how high we get. We ghost riders off the ramp, how we live defies death. Put a conscience in the genre box, stamp a certified fresh. Bad boys beyond G depths, you couldn't fathom what we plan to do next. Turn the music on his head, power bomber suplex. Minds like duplex, that's a damn good dope duel. Don't forget the double check. Couple outcasts that'll hit you like a Smith and West. Turn up the speakers in the headsets, protect your necks. Yoga flame on this track, my rappers better stretch or get burned. Put your ashes in the urn, try to claim a weed. Earn, you gon' learn today, kid we don't play You'll get wrecked if you beat all day Peep the speech, we beat G-R-A-Y, theory, make a way You get steamrolled or paved in the streets Go, auto Give us and take us, man Move us and shake us, we know Give us and take us, man Move us and shake us, we know Give us and take us, man Move us and shake us, we know Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top. Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top. Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top. I know small ones and new ones, fun ones and cold ones, bug ones and bold ones, thug ones can sold some. It's really about the ones that stood the ground and held out. Shelled a couple bucks and some just to be out. Found many can't be trusted, but hate is uncontrollable. Cause sometimes the right thing ain't the right thing to do. And some rhymes with the punchline strike like Sun Tzu. Prime time, Royal Rumble, Rain of Fire, one crew. Great. 
we keeping it jazzy Beat so hard, I bet it's twisting your chassis Pass me the rello as I bring you up a level Find your soul inside the treble Base opinions on your own devils Wrestle with your ego just to make you feel special Revel in the dopeness And takers, man, movers and shakers, we know. Givers and takers, man, movers and shakers, we know. Givers and takers, man, movers and shakers, we know. Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top. Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top. Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top.